Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Colorado Rugby. Um, I'm Henry Chisholm. Today's show is going to be a little bit shorter, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun because I have a lot of things that I want to say. Um, Basically, the plan is this. First, we're going to talk about Katie Nixon going to USC because I have all sorts of thoughts about all sorts of things. You know, the, the decision to choose USC, um, USC's decision to bring Katie in, um, just like what that fit looks like. Um, and I don't know, just, I mean, what what will Katie Nixon look like in a USC uniform in a USC offense with, uh, I mean, somebody who I guess I wouldn't consider like a Heisman Trophy front runner, but if Keaton Slovis wins his first couple of games, and he puts up good numbers while doing so, he's going to catapult to the front of that list with guys like Sam Howell because that's just how that offense is seen. And Katie Nixon, by being a part of it, we'll talk about all this. I have a whole bunch of thoughts. Um, But then after that, we got to get to the DraftKings pick of the week. We're going to be talking about these um, championship games. The AFC championship game, NFC championship game, probably won't be like a lengthy discussion because it really doesn't, you know, it's pro sports and we talk about college sports here. I don't know, but but I do think it's kind of fun to dig into what those teams are doing and uh, just talk some football because we don't get to talk a whole lot of football during this time of year. So close, though, like two months away from spring ball, um, which I guess will have to be enough. Um Yeah, so that's kind of the plan. That's what we're doing today. Before we do all that, though, I want to remind you guys about the awesome things that are happening in the rugby world right here in Colorado, just like 10 minutes away from me, right next to the mall where I buy my pants um, in Glendale at the Infinity Park. And um, that's actually now known as the Rugby Town National Training Center because it is home of the USA Eagles men's and women's rugby 15s teams um so all of like the national training is done right here in colorado now um glendale's actually known as rugby town usa um and what's really cool about it right now is that they're bringing in athletes from all different backgrounds mostly football to to let them try rugby um guys who are former sec football players um former cfl football players a couple of guys who spent a little bit of time in colorado but there's like former bobsledders as well um like norvell dj stewart member of the usa bobsled team trying to get on the u.s rugby team at least that's the goal if things go well for him and things go well for colorado rugby 
I guess. And then they're able to train all these guys up, get them ready to be on the national team, and you know, start pulling just a little bit more talent into that team. And if you want to follow along, you can do that with Colton Strickler, who he has the weekly DNVR rugby podcast, um, which we'd really appreciate if you subscribe to it, um, as well as writing content on the DNVR.com. So follow along with him, follow along with what's happening here in Colorado in the rugby world. It's cool stuff, and you won't be disappointed. All right, so... Katie Nixon. Um, let's start here. I think that this is a good fit. I think that in a lot of ways, Katie Nixon can do for USC what USC needs. Um, he, he can be the type of weapon that has been missing from that offense. Um, and I think that they can offer him the role that he could never get for whatever reason here in Colorado. Um, I think of Katie Nixon mostly for what he does underneath, like what happens within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, we're going to talk about some interesting numbers about that, though, um, so stick around for that. But to me, he's at his best when he's catching bubble screens, when he's catching slant routes, um, when he's taking three steps and turning back, just curling around and basically waiting to see if the deeper receivers like pull the coverage deeper and he's just open underneath. Um used it with jet sweeps, maybe even motion him into the backfield and then run him on a little, um, like outside zone or I don't know, even just run that swing route with him out of the backfield. I, I think that his game is fairly diverse in what he can do. He has had success going downfield. Um, I mean, there, there are some big plays like big plays in Colorado history, like, uh, the, the flea flicker against Nebraska that stand out. He certainly is good at, I think, tracking the ball downfield. He has good speed downfield. And what's missing is just, like, the the large catch radius and jump ball ability um, and and true separating speed. You know, that, that like, 4-3-4-2 type of burner-burner speed that you typically got, see from guys his size who are successful. Um and so I think that those are the routes that he should be used on secondarily, um, kind of just to keep a defense honest. And that isn't exactly what happened at Colorado. He, he didn't play much, obviously, this year, his senior year. But in his junior year even, you know, the, the few times that they really did get him involved, um, like the Arizona State game, things got – I mean, it, it worked for the most part. Um, you know, I think he had five times that he – was targeted behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and all five of those were caught and produced like, I think like 67 yards or something like that in front of the line of scrimmage, like 80 from where he caught them. So, I mean, just those little things, um, stressing a defense in tight in a way that kind of opens up the deeper stuff down the line is what he's good at. And, and, that's not to say that he's like a decoy or anything or somebody who can't produce himself. Um, he can, but it's mostly on those little touches where he gets the ball, turns around, and see if he can make a guy miss and finishes off the run. He, he has a good feel for that sort of thing. We didn't, again, see like a whole lot of it because after that, you know, I think it was a bye week, and then you go to Arizona, a, a loss. Or no, I guess Arizona went to Colorado, and you 
just didn't see all of that much. I think he, he was on the same or on the field the same number of passing plays. I think it was like 28 versus 26, something like that, and was targeted once and it was on the sideline. And it's those sorts of things where you see something work, and I don't understand why we didn't see a whole lot more of that from KD. I mean, I do understand a little bit more this season just because he wasn't around for so much of the year and you're not going to spend a lot of time designing that part of the offense when the guy who runs that part of the offense isn't around. Now, I guess like, you know, Brendan Rice, he caught a screen and took it to the house. He may not have like quite as much quick twitch as KD has though. And maybe there's a little bit more big play ability because he has like that long striding long speed really whereas KD is is more of the jitter buggy type um and and I think he can more often read the blocks get upfield for eight yards and make it a productive play whereas Brendan Rice may struggle to get from yard two to yard eight but may have success if he gets to yard eight taking it to the house and because of that, I mean, that part of the offense just wasn't there a lot. The, the, the screens and a lot of the lateral movements, a lot of the things that a lot of people were upset about happening so much when Chev was the offensive coordinator the first time a couple of years ago, um, weren't there. I think there could have been more screens, more jet sweeps. And in their defense, the few times that they did call, like, real screens I mean you have like the bubble screens to receivers outside those were largely successful I thought when they did I think like game one there was a little screen to Brady Russell where he blocked for a second turned around and in that time the rest of the offensive line had taken like a step in front of him and there was supposed to be like a running lane I'm pretty sure that one didn't work out and there were a couple more like that like the the really tricky screens, the more like modern, what you see Andy Reid run, where you watch it, you're just like, oh, wow, what a cool play. And then all of a sudden, over the next like three years, everybody adds it. Um, same thing with like Kyle Shanahan. There's, there's those little plays, those little inside screens almost um, that just didn't work. There were some to Jarek that didn't work. And I'm not sure why that was, but I do think they still could have tried a little bit more I would have um and I think that again Katie Nixon would have been somebody who would have really thrived doing that sort of thing and that's something this isn't like a, a new thought that I've had we've talked all about this since I mean like for two years now really but but I do think that that is where he's best used and I don't think that there's really a role for that in the Colorado offense it doesn't seem like that's something that the Buffs wanted to do because they didn't do it. You know, I think that bringing in guys like Brendan Rice, like Levante Chenault, um, like Maurice Bell, and Dimitri Stanley, who's like your true slot receiver, I guess, kind of falls into this. But just guys who are known more for being just good, pure receivers than being the gadget type of guy. And, you know, I'm not sure that I necessarily like that. I think that it can certainly work. And I think that for the most part, it really did work for Colorado this year. Again, it's just a fit thing. And, you know, obviously there wasn't enough room for all the receivers at Colorado. Um, and losing the one who doesn't fit what you did most of this year with the staff that is now still in place, I think makes some sense. In terms of why I like this for USC, 
is because that's something that was totally missing from their offense. And that kind of obviously scares me because there's a real chance that they look at KD and say, you know what? He is a deep threat. He's a burner. We want to get him one-on-ones and see if we can take advantage of that. And who knows? There, there is a real chance that they're able to just scheme that better than the Buffs did or, or figure out what the little difference is between what the Buffs did and what would have turned KD into a you know, 800-yard receiver instead of a 650-yard receiver um, at his peak. Um, things like the, the the sort of like over route that the Chiefs run, where it's basically like you're just running across the field, getting deeper, and kind of just running where the space is, reading the defense in front of you. Like that's the route that made Tyreek Hill as special as he's been. And I wonder if maybe that's just something that USC throws in. Like like that they say he is that type of player who can kind of find that space and then get open deeper and get hit with the ball and go make a play. We'll get into some numbers that could make them think that in a bit, but I do think that there's a real chance that the the jet sweeps, the pre-snap motions, um, some more screens, and even maybe even playing him at running back a little bit could be more the plan here because that, again, was what was missing from their offense, and I think maybe the biggest piece that was missing. They, they didn't run a bunch of motion, motions before the snap. I don't know that a receiver was credited with a rush attempt all season, um, which in the modern college football is kind of a weird thing. Like You just see that in a variety of different ways, but each team does it somehow. Um, and, and you wonder if putting him in the slot and, and running those jet sweeps could really just open a whole bunch up for that offense underneath um, because they have the deep threats and they've always had the deep threats and they will continue to always have the deep threats. Um, a couple of those guys are gone now. Um, but when you look at guys like who they had last year out there for the most part in Amon Ross St. Brown, um, Tyler Vaughns, both of whom are now going to the draft, as well as Drake London, those are big-bodied guys who can go downfield and go up and get the ball. And they all did that. And Keaton Slovis was really good at throwing those deep balls, but there was just something missing a little bit underneath. I still think, even though they could run the ball at points, um, that's just how you modernize that offense. An, an offense that was just a little bit too stale from a coaching staff that has been known to be a little bit too stale. Um, kind of just letting the team go out there and just be bigger and stronger and faster than the opponent and taking the 8 of 12 wins that that'll get you instead of finding like a, a little bit better coaching staff that maybe gets you all 12 of those wins because USC has the ability to be that sort of program. Um and I really hope that that's what happened, though, I guess, is that USC thought, huh, what do we need to add to this offense? And thought, just those little gadget plays. Um, a guy who can run jet sweeps, he can run drags, which is basically like the same thing, but on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, th- there's just so many ways to get him open underneath, and there's just a little bit more upside. Like I said, the top two receivers are gone. That means that Drake London will be really the guy this year. Um, Brew McCoy will also be back. He was the other real contributor um, last season. 
when you look at the offense, really, really, it's a four receiver offense in terms of the number of guys who get opportunities um, this season. Just for example, so Amon Ross St. Brown, 57 targets, 49 for Tyler Vaughns, 43 for Drake London, and then 26 for Brew McCoy. So there is a little bit of a drop off between three and four. But what's really important is that um, even with those 26 targets, that was 18th among all Pac-12 receivers. And so if you're thinking about it, that's really like, if you take the first 12 receivers and say that that's basically a number one receiver on a Pac-12 team, then he's like number six of 12. He's getting the average number of targets for a number two receiver in the Pac-12 as their number four receiver. And that's kind of how this offense shakes out. So with two pieces missing, um, with Tyler Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown headed to the NFL, there's really two receiver jobs, full-time receiver jobs, that are open uh, for USC receivers. Um, just by the way, Honoris St. Brown, second most targets in the Pac-12. Tyler Vaughn's fourth most. Um, Drake London, sixth most. So that's how much they're throwing the ball. And that's for a bunch of different reasons. Because it's a, a kind of like sort of air raid offense. So they just throw the ball a lot. Um, because it's a good offense. And so they have the ball a lot. They work the way downfield. They run a bunch of plays. Um, and because they have really good receivers as well. Um, but something that, again, I just find really interesting. Um, and I'm jumping back to the stats actually from 2019 just because it... Katie Nixon played the full year, which is different than this year. Um, and also, like, there's just a bigger sample size and everything balances out. Everybody played the same number of games. Um, when you look at how things worked in 2019, um, USC also had Michael Pittman on the roster, of course. Um, he was gone this year with the Colts. Uh in terms of targets 20-plus yards down the field, Michael Pittman was fourth in the Pac-12. Um, next up for USC were Tyler Vons at... Oh, Tyler Vons actually tied with Amonor St. Brown and with LaVisca Chenault at 14 targets. That's 10th most. So you have three in the top 10 for USC, and actually the receiver with the next most deep targets was Katie Nixon at... 13. That's 14, or 13th in the conference as well. Um, hopefully those numbers didn't sound too confusing. But when you look at how Tyler Vons and Amara St. Brown were used, there are a lot of deep passes. And I guess when you look at like the percentages of how deep it was, then things change a little bit. But I mean, kind of the same numbers held true in 2018 as well, Katie's best season, when he was actually, I think, top 10. Yeah, tied with Nikhil Harry for 10th um, in deep targets with Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's right in front of him again. And you wonder looking at those numbers, if because they're so similar, that's what USC sees is, is another deep threat who could replace those guys. And again, that's not my favorite usage of somebody like KD. Um, but the last little piece of the puzzle here that again, I just think is really interesting is what you see when you look at snaps from the slot. So in 2019, um, Amon Ross St. Brown had, I think, more snaps in the slot than any other receiver in the Pac-12. No, one more had. Uh, Renard Bell from Washington State had more. You jump ahead to this year, and 
actually Drake London was the slot receiver, and he actually did lead by a wide margin, 252 for him, 185 for second place, snaps from the slot. And so when you see something like that, you think Drake London, the one receive, returning receiver for USC, he has to be a slot guy, right? Otherwise, this just doesn't make sense. I guess at the same time, like they did switch their slot guy outside last year. So maybe they just prioritize those outside receiving positions more. Um, but what they did do last year is when they had two slot receivers on the field, again, they used a lot of receivers. They used uh, Amon Ross St. Brown as that second slot receiver. And so to me, when I look at this, because at least I like the idea of KD in the slot, um, I still think that that's his best fit. I think that what USC is doing right now is kind of getting insurance for that fourth receiver. Like they have a whole bunch of talented guys. And just because we haven't seen them play football, like for the most part, they're four and five star receivers who are just sitting on the bench waiting for their turn. That That's just how USC works. Um, you have to think that two of those guys will be good enough to play. But when you want to use as many receivers, we have injuries, all that kind of stuff. I think that Katie Nixon's floor here, um, and again, maybe it is a little bit high for a floor, is to be that second slot receiver, at least taking that role that was vacated by Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, and then if he is able to either prove that he's a good enough slot receiver that you want to bump Drake London outside or prove that he's a good enough outside receiver to take one of those jobs when you don't have four receivers on the field, um, or prove, again, and I really like the idea of at least trying him out at running back, I think that you might be interested in seeing what you have there. I'm pretty sure, let's see, so Vive Malpei, Stephen Carr, I'm pretty sure both of them are going back to USC next year. Um, and so there aren't a whole bunch of extra snaps in that backfield, but you never know how things will shake out. Um, so that's kind of all of my thoughts. Um, I, I, I do like the fit. Um, I think that Katie Nixon is what USC is missing. I just hope that the coaches realize that that's exactly what he is as well. And that's how they decide to use him. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't think he'd be successful if he was just plugged in, you know, in place of an Amon Ross St. Brown. There are things that Amon Ross St. Brown can do that Katie Nixon can't. You know, that's just the truth. Like when he has six inches on him, whatever that equates to an arm length, like it does just make the jump balls, the deep passes a lot easier for a, a guy like that. Katie Nixon can do a lot of things. Um, and if you put him out there, I think he's an average Pac-12 starting receiver. Is that good enough to, to be the guy at USC? Uh, they have a lot of talent. Um, and he might have to carve himself this niche role. The same sort of niche role, though, that has gotten a lot of, the, of guys to the NFL recently. I mean, um, not exactly a Demetric Felton role because he did play a lot more running back. Um, but maybe mix that with, let's say, like Visca. Honestly, Visca's, Visca's almost as close a comp for KD as anybody. Um, with the difference, again, just being the size. You know, if, if KD was doing the things that he does at his size, but at Visca's side with Visca's body, you know, things would go really well. I, I mean, you would be running him more in the Wildcat. You'd be getting the ball in his hands and watching him run guys over. Again, he doesn't have that size. What he does have, though, is a little bit more quick twitch, and that can go a long way if used the right way. 
Um, and again, for, for all of this to have added up the way it did with Katie Nixon going to USC, you'd have to think that they're kind of on the same page there. And hopefully they see what I see again, who knows, maybe I'm crazy and don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but that is my whole big take that whole 20 minutes, um, which is probably enough. Um, before we talk about, uh, my pick of the week, gotta give a shout out to the friends over at Hassle Cattle Company. Hassle Cattle is just good stuff. Um, it's Wagyu beef. Um, honestly, they, they call it the blue collar Wagyu beef because it's accessible. Um, usually when you hear about Wagyu beef, it's like because you follow whatever rich chef who has a million followers on Instagram and you, you get to see him like talk up this steak and be like, oh yeah, we just spent a thousand dollars just for these six steaks we're gonna you know that that kind of stuff but what's different about hassle cattle company is that they want it to be affordable they want to i mean the business side of things they want to scale up so that more people can be buying it and what it's turned into is just the best deal you can get on the best quality of beef um you can get the smoked sausage new york strip beef bacon wagyu frank without any fillers uh, two jerky flavors either original or sweet and spicy um their hamburger one food network's northeast burger jam again it's really good stuff um a, a lot of nfl players order their food um because again it's just really good meat um if you use the code dmvr10 you can get 10 percent off your order um Spend $200, you get free shipping. Great deals. Check it out and see if you like it. Actually, that's a dumb thing to say. We all know you're going to like it. It's Wagyu beef. Um, DraftKings. Oh, what perfect timing since we're about to talk about things to bet on. Um, The return we have all been waiting for is finally here. UFC's most notorious icon is stepping back into the octagon this Saturday. So be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook the official sports betting partner of the UFC, for a shot to turn $1 into $257. That's right. New users can bet $1 on McGregor to win by knockout in the first round, and if he does, you'll be cashing in $257. Bet a little, win a lot, it's that simple. While we're all excited for this weekend's premier UFC bout, let's not forget that football is in the midst of their playoffs, so head to the app to check out the great playoff promotions. Again, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and use promo code DMVR when you sign up to turn $1 into $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code DMVR for new players to get $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Um, my DraftKings picks picks of the week we're gonna do both of them um first of all actually let me double check and see which game is first i feel like we should talk about these in order you know like maybe you guys are listening to this on sunday and they're right around the corner and i want to i'm trying to kill time um bucks packers is first packers favored by three and a half love that um 
Actually, do I love that? I don't know that I love that. I do love the Packers' money line, and I wouldn't be surprised if the odds get a little bit better for the Packers on Sunday. I do think that this is going to be one where people, you know, at the last second, and honestly, I might do the same thing, just think, can I really bet against Tom Brady in a playoff game? And then, like, somebody will say, well, he hasn't won a conference championship game on the road, and you'll just be like, okay, if if that's what we're talking about here, that, you know, he, he actually hasn't been that good, like, no. It's Tom Brady. I do think that there's going to be um, kind of some late movement in that direction. And so maybe you can get the Packers money line at decent value, um, which which I think is what you should do. I do think that the Packers are going to win. Um, by the way, I'm 9 of 10 so far in these playoffs and about to really make some money as long as I don't screw up these last couple of weeks. Um, but Aaron Rodgers is just that good. Aaron Rodgers is legitimately potentially the best quarterback in the NFL. It's kind of like crazy to say when Mahomes is right there, but ooh, actually that's a good way to frame this. On Sunday, Aaron Rodgers will be the best quarterback to take the field. And that'll be because like Mahomes has his foot trouble and that sort of stuff, but I actually do believe that that's true. Um on a on a normal Sunday, Rodgers is probably number 2 right behind him. Um, and Josh Allen is certainly in that conversation at this point. But when you look at where Tom Brady is, he is scary and he can run that offense, but he isn't at the Aaron Rodgers level. Like that is a very clear win for the Packers. And I think when you look at the running backs, that's a win too. When you look at the offensive lines, that's a win. When you look at the receivers, honestly, it's a conversation. It sounds crazy when you look at all the Bucks receivers, but Devontae Adams is that good. He is, he is, again, ah, he's right there with DeAndre Hopkins as best receiver in the NFL. And Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, like, they're all good. They're not that good. And, again, you look at the defense, and that's what's really scary. Honestly, Devin White is what's so scary about the Buccaneers to me. Um, he's he's playing on a different level and he is fired up and I think that that's a really important thing for a linebacker is just like having the right energy and he has certainly had the right energy he's everywhere he's getting in guys face he's putting everybody on the ground like that scares me at the same time he can't cover Devontae Adams um I do think the Packers win this one um things have gone well you know I know People have also been bringing up what happened in the regular season. I really hate that this time of year. It doesn't have anything to do with what happened in the regular season. Same thing. I mean, the Bucks really struggled against the Saints two times in the regular season. They blew out the Packers. It doesn't matter. There were some weird things that happened in that game. Some balls bounced the wrong way. Um, also, I think what they... I can't remember what the number was. It was at least four sacks that the Bucks had. Um, and I think it was more than that. And since that week, though, Rodgers hasn't been sacked again. Things are different. This is a, a better team than Tampa's. And I think that at home, they're going to win. The second game, um, Bills and... Ooh, yeah, that's right. It is Bills and Chiefs. The Chiefs are just too good. And... You know, the, the Bills are good. They're not as good as the Chiefs are. Um, 
Nobody is. The Chiefs are going to run away from whoever they play in the Super Bowl, too. Um, I'm not sure what the spread is here. Let me pull it up. Three points? Yeah, hammer that. If you want, move that to double digits. Like, I, I'm I'm probably going to put a, a, a small bet on the Chiefs minus, like, nine and a half or something because this isn't going to be a good game. Um, again, the Chiefs are too good. So something crazy could happen. Um, Mahomes could be like noticeably still dazed from that i don't know if you call it a concussion he was in concussion protocol for multiple days sounds like a concussion um plus he got his foot stepped up i just you you can't beat the chiefs and if you want to be safe take that three points but if you're looking for some fun maybe you just want to take the packers money line but get a little bit more value maybe throw that nine and a half on the chiefs there you'll get some big value um yeah those are my thoughts on the games um, and my thoughts on Katie Nixon. Again, just rooting for the best for him. Um, and to get to play with Keaton Slovis, that is a good person to get to play with. Um, to, to get to play with the receivers that he should be able to play with. Again, I don't know a lot about the guys we didn't see, but Brew McCoy, Drake London, Katie Nixon, that's the best group of receivers in the Pac-12 for my money. And... Uh, Drake London might be doing some work there um, and maybe even Brew McCoy but that that is my evaluation and hopefully he carves out um, a, a big role although I am pretty confident that he will carve out at least some role hopefully as one of those gadget guys the, the guys that make every offense pop um, whether it's Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey or I mean Cordero Patterson it hasn't ever really worked out right um LaVisca Chenault really wasn't used as much in that role this year as I thought he would be. Um, Kadarius Toney, um, Rondale Moore, um, you know, those sorts of guys. And I will say, I've got 800 yards from scrimmage from KD next year. Um, pizza on it with RK. So I guess that's the last important detail for today. And I will be back after, or I guess for the post-game show, the Buffs game tomorrow afternoon. Should be a good time. See you then. Hopefully the buffs get off. It's not even a snide. That was just an awful loss. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. Patiently awaiting When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid Cause you know we finna hit ya, hit ya, hit ya, hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? You just better hope you make it to the next whistle And we ain't playing with you, you can get it anytime It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the last My Colorado swag in the middle Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I 
Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, I think they like my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man I swear I think they like my Colorado swag.